This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's roundup. I still don't have a professional background going on, but I'm working on it. A lot of stuff to talk about this week though, so I'm just going to jump right into it. First up, those component discard pass-through adapters came through, so you should be getting yours pretty soon. Um, They work exactly as described. Um, It's just a pass-through adapter, not a a converter at all, and you could use it in any SCART switch. Um, and it just passes the signal through it. So for people that have PVMs like me that accept both component and RGB, it's very helpful because you could run a component source through it. I know many people have um, a Wii, and that's really their only component video source. Uh, And if you have those with a uh, Sony PVM, this really does make it easier because it's all through one switch, and all you have to do is flip the button from component uh, RGB to component and turn off external sync, and then it works. Um, so these are great. Um, as you can see in the videos I'm posting, uh, if you have a GSCART switch, um, you should put this in port 8, the closest to the output port. Um, and also, uh, you should, if you use the SCART output, you should probably get RCA right angle adapters because they won't really fit too well, or just find another way to get audio out. Um, but in many switches, you'd probably be plugging them in this way so they'd be on the top or anything. But I don't know. For the price, I thought they were great, and uh, I'm really glad I got one. And big, huge, massive thanks again to Cameron, who got him from Australia to Wes at Retrofixes. And then another big thank you to Retrofixes for getting him out to everybody else. So, uh, you know, I like to start with a good story, because this is awesome. Everybody got to help each other out. Everybody appreciates it, at least they should, because this is a cool little device. And now those of us with PVMs and one component source can just uh, not have to unplug and replug anymore. Next, GameTech is now selling NES Repro kits. So uh, you could purchase the NES cartridge shells themselves, and I believe they have clear and black available, as well as the PCBs, EEPROMs, CIC clones, and uh, pretty much almost everything else you would need to remake any of the games. Uh, Some of the mappers aren't supported yet, but I think he's working on that. But overall, I think it's a great and really cost-effective way to make repros if that's something you guys are interested in. A bit more news from GameTech. I guess they have about 500 high-def NES kits coming in from China, and they only have about 300 people on the pre-order list. So this is one of the few times you'll probably be able to just uh, buy it from their website and get it within a pretty short period of time. Um, You know, there's going to be overlaps like this, I'm sure, every once in a while, but for the most part, this is a constant pre-order scenario. So you should always count on pre-ordering and waiting a while, But now, if they're already on their way from China, there's a good chance you'd be able to buy it and get it within a few weeks. So if you were waiting on one, maybe now's the time to uh, pull the trigger on it and actually get one. 
It looks like the Pi to Scar adapter is available for pre-order from Arcade Forge, which is really awesome because that's an idea that Johan and I talked about during the interview a few weeks ago, and he said it was something he would look into uh, and that he would try to get it out around January. So I think it's pretty awesome that we were just kind of chatting about something and he made it into a real product so quickly. So basically, it's the same as a VGA output for the Raspberry Pi, but it combines the sync to RGBS and outputs it through SCART. Now, I don't mean to oversimplify that because that's exactly what we were looking for. And overall, it's cheaper than getting a VGA adapter, adapter and a sync combining circuit. Um, not too much, but still, I mean, it's everything you want in one little package, requires no extra power, and it just uh, works or it should work as advertised. So I'm obviously getting one in for testing. I pre-ordered it the moment it popped up on their website, uh, and I'll make sure to do a full review whenever I get it in. But, I mean, I'm ex based on their other products, I'm just expecting the same high-quality output as all of the GERT VGA adapters, but through SCART, which is pretty awesome because now it's just, you know, anybody with a PVM or a pre-existing SCART solution just has one very easy thing to add onto their Raspberry Pi. Well, since you're going to need a SCART to SCART cable for the Pi to SCART adapter, I figured now's a good time to mention that Amazon is actually selling a SCART cable right now, which for everybody in Europe, I'm sure you're probably laughing like, yeah, I mean, it's common. It's like selling a composite cable, but in the US, you'd never see SCART. So um, I ended up buying one and it looks pretty heavy duty. I mean, it's got uh, held together by screws as well as the crank adapter. Um, it looks well made, uh, heavy duty, and... Uh, of course, I wanted to pull it apart to show everybody. Um, each one of the cables has its uh, ground run alongside of it, um, the red, green, and blue cables. And it really overall just looks like a very high-quality cable. So uh, I'm pretty psyched. I mean, this is uh, it's pretty rare for to be able to find anything like this in the U.S. So if uh, you're looking for a cheap SCART to SCART cable... Uh, maybe this is the one to pick up because it's only about $14 and it has Amazon Prime. So thanks to Corey from My Life in Gaming for giving us the tip. Um, and I'll put this thing through its paces soon, but in the minimal testing I've done with it so far, it's perfect. So uh, anybody has any comments on it, please let me know. Jello Slug has now made his 3D printed covers for PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16 consoles available again. At the moment, he has the Duo Doors, so those are the little covers that when you put the Hue card in, it could snap down above it. Uh, he also has the battery door covers for the Express units, as well as the EverDrive covers themselves. Um, he sells them through the PC Engine FX forums, which requires free registration in order to get in there. Uh, but once you're signed up, you could contact him directly and purchase them. And also, Smoke Monster has posted his 3D design files for his Turbo EverDrive cover. So if you have your own 3D printer, you could do that as well. So I think stuff like this is really great, because little parts like this are always hard to find and becoming harder to find. And it's really awesome that people are 3D printing their own, so that you know this stuff could kind of still live on, even with aftermarket parts. And speaking of Smoke Monster, he just started a thread on ArcadeProjects.com, about which homebrew that he should include in his upcoming Neo Geo ROM set. So with two Neo Geo ROM cards coming out soon, um, there's definitely going to be a need for an awesome ROM pack, uh, and there's definitely going to be a need for the arcade versions and the home versions. In asking for all those, it's the typical, are we allowed to talk about it, are we not, are we allowed to post? 
but homebrew you're totally allowed to talk about because it's people just making stuff and posting it so if you guys have any neo geo homebrew software that you've written that you'd like included or that you know about definitely post in that forum i think that registration is required to see that forum as well but this is going to be a very cool thing and any of these neo geo roms are a very big deal for people like me that just couldn't afford all this stuff over the years and now i'm finally going to be able to try it and I'll tell you too, as weird as this sounds, for a lot of these games, especially games made by the people that are still putting out Neo Geo carts, if I really, really like it, I probably will end up buying it. But for the most part, I just like experiencing the game and then I'll never play it again. So awesome that we get this opportunity with ROM carts. And if there's any homebrew you guys like, definitely post in the thread. The company Hyperkin just posted a picture on their Facebook page about a 3-in-1 adapter for the Retron 5. This will take Game Gear cartridges, Master System cartridges, and the Master System cards and allow you to play them through the Genesis slot of the Retron 5. Now, you guys all know how I feel about Hyperkin and uh, the Retron 5 and all that stuff, but overall, this is actually a pretty cool thing because I don't think it would be limited to just the Retron 5. I mean, I'm sure you could use it as a an adapter just to play Master System games and Master System cards on your Genesis, which that alone is pretty neat because the only way to play the cards is through the official PowerBase converter, which is getting more expensive and hard to find. That being said, if you just needed uh, a Master System cartridge to Genesis converter, I still recommend the PowerBase FM as my go-to choice because that has that FM chip in it, so you could toggle the sound on and off with certain games. And some games really have way better audio with the FM chip than not. But overall, the other th uses that you could use for this is I imagine you could probably use it in other things like the Retroid and allow you to dump all of your cartridges to ROMs, um, maybe even in the, the Retro Freak and any other device like that. Because I know a lot of people like dumping the ROMs of their own cartridges. So overall, I mean, I don't think I uh, would ever use it on a Retron 5 because I don't like that thing, but um, I think I might end up buying one just because it might end up being a handy tool to have in your toolbox if they release it. I mean, it's Hyperkin, so it might not actually hit the shelves till 2018, but I figured it was worth mentioning. While this next thing isn't exactly retro gaming news, I thought it was fun enough that I had to share it with everybody. It looks like somebody is making Air Jordan 4 Super Nintendo sneakers. So, uh, I don't really care how ridiculous I would look. I would love to wear these things at least once just because they seem fun. But they're only making 10 of them, and they're going to go on sale on a website called Freaker Sneaks. So I imagine they're going to go for an insane amount of money, and I'm not going to pay that much just for sneakers. But I thought it was neat enough that I'd share it with everybody, and who knows, maybe someday you'll see my silly ass running around in a pair of Super Nintendo Jordans. The company Retrobit just announced a product called the Super Retro Boy, which is a handheld console that looks like an original Game Boy, but plays Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games on it. Unfortunately, because it's the shape of an original Game Boy, there are no trigger buttons, so the L and R buttons are right uh, on your thumb, kind of like in a Super Nintendo thumbstick, there's four in a row, um, which I imagine is going to be really uncomfortable for playing some Game Boy Advance games. Um, I haven't had great luck with retro bit stuff in the past, it seems just like low-end clones to me, 
but who knows? Maybe they'll do a good job on this one. Um, and as long as there's no lag, uh, maybe the screen will be good enough to make it a contender for Game Boy Color games, because there still really isn't another solution to play that other than on a Game Boy Advance. So if you like that original size and shape, um, you know the only thing you could do is a front-lit Game Boy Color, which doesn't really come out that well. So uh, if I ever get my hands on one, I'll do a full review of it, but I just figured I would post it for anybody that was interested. It looks like the NES Classic console was just fully hacked. I've actually been following a thread on a Russian forum for a few weeks now when they first got the hack working, but it was a bit complicated and not really something that most people would try. But now they have just a basic tool released so anybody could do it. It seems pretty easy and straightforward. Basically, you just jailbreak, jailbreak the NES Classic first, then load your ROMs up. And I think it's even compatible with Famicom Disk System ROMs. So um, now, now it's useful. Now I think that little device, even though it's got a little too much lag for me, um, once it becomes available in stores again, because they're still really hard to find, um, I think it'd be a pretty cool thing to just buy it, hack it, and have as many NES games as you want. Um, you know, it's still not the best solution, but if you're a casual gamer and you really just want to play a couple of your favorites and then probably never touch it again, it's a, a great device. Um, I think most people watching this podcast, though, would probably want a more true solution, uh, something like the AVS or the High Def NES mod, and I think the Analog NT Mini is coming out soon, um, and that's designed by Kevtris, so he designed the FPGA for it, so I imagine that's going to be pretty accurate as well. So there's just a lot more solutions that are more accurate that uh, that could allow you to play it on different devices, but... Hey, I mean, this is, uh, it's cheap and it's good for some people, so I figure I'll keep posting the news about it. And I also really like it when things like this are hacked, so it's kind of fun anyway. Speaking of the NES Classic, it looks like somebody hacked it into a portable game console to kind of look like a Game Boy. I think this is absolutely awesome, and I really enjoyed watching the video. I love hacking projects like this, and this seems to be the perfect use for something like that. And I kind of wish Nintendo thought of it as well. But just figured I'd post a video if people were interested. There's a new update to the Atari 5200 RGB kit. The creator, Simius, says that the final PCB version is ready, and that there's jumpers for RGB or component, as well as interlaced or non-interlaced, which I'm going to assume means 240p and 480i, um, and that it'll also auto-detect the color if it's NTSC or PAL. So um, it's looking great. Uh, it's looking like this is going to be a product we're all able to buy soon. Um, and he said he's still expecting components from some of the dealers, uh, but when he gets them, he'll be able to accept payments um, and start production soon. So uh, this is looking like a real thing, and now I'm going to have to go hunt down an Atari 5200 just so I'd be able to do the mod. Okay, now on to Q&As. Um, last week I talked about using 64 gigabyte. Uh, SD cards or micro SD cards in certain ROM carts, um, and talked about how with the SD to SNES you had to make sure to use a special program to format it FAT32 or else it wouldn't read in it. Uh, Firebrand X was able to test his EverDrive 64 uh, with the same program, and he confirmed that that is also compatible with 64 gig uh, SD cards. So that's good news. At the moment, there's only three cards or three uh, ROM carts that would ever need more than 32 gig. And SD to SNES right now, if you have all the MSU1 patches, is over 32. N64 comes close, so it's good to just buy it now, just so you don't have to worry about going over. And also Game Boy Advance is uh, kind of close as well. 
Um, the only problem with the Game Boy Advance EverDrive is that there are compatibility issues with certain brands. Uh, there's a, a thread on the Crix forum about it, so that's the only iffy one at the moment. But uh, other than that, it's looking good. So at least uh, N64 and SD to SNES can handle the 64 gigs. So I would recommend buying one of those just so you'd never have to worry about running out of space. And speaking of formatting 64 gig SD cards to FAT32, Joybit Legit posted that you could use a program called Gparted to do the same thing on Linux. So, you, of course, I'm sure there's a ton of partition managers you could use in Windows. I just posted that FAT32 format because it's free. Uh, but thanks for the tip. Um, I think you could probably do it in Mac as well. And if I know for sure, if I could come up with a, a quick tool or a guide or something, I'll post that as well. Uh, but for me, I use Windows primarily. And in order to do a FAT32 format of anything over 32 gigs, you need specific software. Just the built-in Windows won't do it. Next, QWERTYMOTO posted a guide to upgrading the op-amp on the SD to SNES ROM cart. Um, that's something we talked about last week, and he just posted his link to his guide about doing it. Uh, and also, I believe Bordy is working on a PCB for this to make it even easier. So I didn't include it in news this week because there's nothing uh, able to be purchased yet or, or downloaded. But I'll keep everybody updated on this, um, and I'll go into more detail on it when it's ready so everybody understands what it is and why they might need to do it to their ROM cart. Next, Legalize Freedom asked my thoughts on using AV receivers with retro game consoles, since some have upscalers built in. This is actually something I've been pretty interested in in the past few months, ever since somebody emailed me saying that they'd done exactly that, and it was very low lag, and it looked pretty good. I actually emailed a few people, and the specific model they were using has the same chip in it that the FrameMeister does, with one problem. The FrameMeister first upscales everything to 480p, and then from 480p goes through this chip out. So uh, this particular receiver they used actually treated the signal as 480i, so you were essentially upscaling an interlaced signal, which isn't the best. But um, it was low lag, and it said it looked good on their solution, so uh, it seemed like a viable thing to do. And unfortunately, the more I looked, the harder, I, or the more I realized it was harder to find which of these AV receivers have which processors in them. So if there was a way to tell, or if we knew, um, I guess the best thing to do would really just be to start a list somewhere for people that own them. Because especially for things like the open source scan converter, the OSSC, if you put your consoles through that, and output it in line triple mode, 720p, then go from that through an AVR upscaled into your TV. If it's a low lag solution, it's pretty common to handle a 720p upscale, and it might actually look very good. So um, that's something I'm interested in, and I would need you guys' help with, because I just I have very limited access to AVRs. So if you guys have one with an upscaler built in, maybe pop the top off and see what chip it is, uh, and if it handles either 240p or any other frequency um, frequency resolution better, um, then maybe it's something to start a thread about somewhere because it just seems like a really great solution for many people and one that would actually save cost as well. So rather than buying a, a stereo and a DVD-O upscaler, um, maybe you just buy a good AVR for a little bit less and have everything in one. So I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts on that or your experience in the comments. Next, Drew Irons was asking, do I think this is the last chance to get a Framemeister since they're stopping production? 
Um, and I understand the concern because, you know, if this is something that completely leaves the market, you know, you might have a lot more limited choices. But although I don't have any contact with Mecomsoft or any of their people, I could absolutely tell you that if they plan on staying in the retro gaming market, there's going to be some follow-up product. Um, because if not, then they're just losing their entire market share, which they already have a pretty good percentage of. So I haven't heard anything from them, and they did say publicly that they will be stopping production in February, but they plan on having enough stock to carry them through the rest of the year. So they're probably doing one more very large production run. So, I mean, I don't know if I would run out and get one now if you don't already have one. Um, Me, personally, I'm more concerned about the next generation options. You know, the, the new features that are coming onto the OSSC, while you don't have some of the zoom and crop functions, maybe that will actually be a better contender. Or if they do have a good follow-up product, what features does it have? Will it have the full color support? Will it be 4K? Will it have less lag? So um, if you're worried about getting one, I guess it wouldn't hurt. You know, with like with everything, I mean, you could always sell it on eBay for a small loss when you're done. But generally speaking, to answer the question that I've been getting from a lot of people lately, uh, unless Mecomsoft plans on completely pulling out of the retro gaming market, I can't imagine they're not going to have a follow-up product that's ready pretty much when that stock runs out of the Framemeister. So I hope that was a good explanation and I didn't ramble too much. Next, Mark Pitos had a couple of good questions regarding sync, and more specifically how a few of Voltar's new boards have a jumper that allows you to select between TTL sync and 75 ohm C sync. So I'm going to try to give the most basic, simple uh, answer first, and then kind of break it down. So any electrical engineers that are listening, <laughs> you're going to roll your eyes at first. But basically, when you're installing these boards, um, if you don't have specific ways to test, just as long as you have a multimeter, test your cable. If your cable has components on the sync line, then you could output TTL sync. If your cable doesn't have components on the sync line, then you're going to want to output 75 ohm C sync. So that's the short answer in regards to Voltar's boards. But why why that jumper is there is a lot more complicated. And I'll try for a middle of the ground uh, explanation now, and then my site will soon have an updated sync page and hopefully a, a video explaining this as well. But basically, a lot of consoles output TTL sync. So when you actually tap into their sync pin on the multi-out, that's what you're getting. But a lot of devices that you use, in fact, I would say most devices in the retro gaming world, require 75-ohm C-sync, which is actually what SCART generally is. You have a composite video, a 75-ohm composite video signal as sync. We as retro gamers don't generally like to do that because using composite video can introduce a bit of noise or compatibility issues with certain processors, which is why we like to use the sync coming directly from the console. So in order to convert that to C-Sync, you normally would find components in the cable that have been measured per console. So some consoles don't require any components at all. Some uh, require a resistor and a capacitor, and and a few are, are different. Um, but that jumper is on a few of Voltar's boards specifically um, in case... So in the case of the Super Nintendo one, if you have the a cable and you don't have any components on the sync line, you would just jump that to C-Sync and you're fully compatible. Um, so 
how each of those breaks down, what the voltage of each are, how to test it, that really requires a separate video, and I'm probably going to drag Voltar into doing that one with me, uh, and maybe even Steve from HD Retrovision, just so we can get super nerdy on everybody. But I just wanted to break down the basics, um, and that is a lot of reason, a lot of the reasoning why uh, sometimes you get a C-Sync cable, but it still doesn't work with certain displays, and that's why some RGB monitors have switches in back, and there are even some where you'll see the RGB connectors have many pins on them. Uh, like, I think one or two of the old PVMs, and that's actually because they have different sync inputs on them. Certain pins are for 75 ohm C-Sync, others are for TTL. So, while this all of this gets more and more confusing, it is good that, that we, the, the people who want to mod our consoles, have more control over these things. Um, you know, in a perfect world, all the components we would already buy would already have everything in them you know every cable would be made perfectly to spec and you know the cable manufacturers would know every single model revision of every single motherboard but we're just we're just fans of the work doing this you know the cable manufacturers aren't large companies that can afford to buy every version of the super nintendo genesis and everything else so it's basically up to all of us to kind of figure it out and work together which is why you run into stuff like this um, so I hope I didn't just go off on too much of a tangent, but, you know, the short version is if, uh, if you're using a Super Nintendo, uh, or, and there's caps in a resistor in the cable, you could leave it on TTL sync. If there's no, if there's nothing on the sync line, you should use 75 ohm sync for Voltar sports. Lastly, O1Phoenix79 asked my thoughts on the Analog NT Mini and how I think its price point will really affect, uh, its place on the market. Um, and to be honest, I haven't tested it yet, I, I would like to soon, but it really seems like all of these different devices are hitting their perfect price point. You know, you have some of these junk clone systems that you could get for, you know, 20 bucks that just output composite, and I think there's that one new HDMI clone system that everybody says is pretty bad, but it's, you know, 40 or $50, it's really cheap. Um, and then you have the AVS, which is $200 for, although it's FPGA based, so it's not official original Nintendo, I think it's perfect. I don't really have any complaints about it, and I think for that price, you know, it, everybody should be very excited. And then to step up over that, you have the High Def NES, which, while that itself is cheaper than the AVS, it requires a NES console and installation, but although that puts it over the price, it adds more features, and you get to use the original chips if that's something you even want or care about. And now the NT Mini is going to be, at the moment, the high end of things, which is supposedly going to offer even more features um, and have more compatibility and have uh, HDMI as well as RGB outputs. So I really think that everything's just hitting its place. I mean, for some people, buying that you know $20 composite video clone console is fine. Not for me. Uh, other people, the NES Classic is fine. It has the games they want to play. They don't care that, you know, it's it's HDMI 720p only. It, you know, they don't care about the couple of frames of lag, and that's fine for them. But I think for people that want to use original cartridges and really push the system to its limits, I think we have all the choices we want, and at the moment, none of them are really taking market share away from the others. So um, I do think that some people are immediately going to see the price of the NT Mini and go, oh, that's crazy, why would, I, why would I spend that much money? I can get a PlayStation 4. But I think people that are kind of in the know and understand what it is that you're getting and what you can accomplish, 
um, you would probably be willing to spend the money if it has all the extra features we hope. So uh, I hope that wasn't too long and drawn out, but the short version is I think everything so far has its place, and I really hope that we keep having more and more, uh, not flood the market, but more good solutions available to all of us so that we have more choices and you know everybody's niche will be filled. Well, that's it for this week. Um, I had reached out to a few different people about doing interviews, and all seemed interested, but we're still just catching up with the holiday craziness. So hopefully we can start again next week and have another great interview and uh, another awesome guest on the podcast. Um, until then, as always, any comments or criticism, please post below. I'm always, you know, uh, always love to hear everybody's opinion on things, and I'll see you next week.